Okay, here we go. Hereafter part two. So this cabal of villains here, while they're not specifically named in this episode, is pretty obviously a homage to the Superman Revenge Squad, a group of villains in the comics, made up obviously primarily of Superman villains who would gather together and try to destroy Superman, basically his own little version of an Injustice League or what have you. The idea of including Weather Wizard is a little odd, given that he's a Flash villain, but since he appeared in an episode of Superman, I suppose he was fair game. The idea of including Calabac is similarly odd, seeing as how, as a new god, he would seem to be above such matters, but he was always a bit of a loser for a new god, so I guess he fits. So the genesis for this episode, according to the producers and writers, was basically that they wanted to do a story that showed how, how much Superman meant to the other characters. And the most obvious way of doing that is to remove Superman, so that you can see how the other characters act in his absence. Now, they didn't want to do a Death of Superman story straight out of the comics, where Doomsday basically came in and pounded Superman until he died. They felt that was a little obvious, a little boring, not too much interesting there in terms of drama. So they decided to basically get the the death out of the way fairly quickly and in a fairly off-the-cuff manner. It, it, it's like blinking you miss it. It happens before anybody even realizes what's going on, which is, I suppose, the way death is a lot of times. And then spend the meat of the story dramatizing the character's reactions, not the actual conflict itself. So they decide to go with a group of traditional Superman villains rather than introduce a character for the express purpose of killing Superman. Maggie Sawyer and her one and only appearance. Now, the slightly disappointing thing about this scene is that with the exception of Calabac, all of the members of the Revenge Squad have been recast in terms of their voice actors. In Superman the Animated Series, of course, Malcolm McDowell was Metallo, Bud Court was Toyman, Miguel Ferrer was Weather Wizard, and Laurie Petty was Livewire. Here, all the male members of the Revenge Squad, obviously with the exception of Calabac, are voiced by Corey Burton, who does Brainiac and several other incidental voices in other episodes. And Livewire is done by Maria Canals, pulling double duty. And it sort of gets the episode off to a rough start, in my opinion, because it takes you out of the episode and at a time when you should be saying, oh, how cool is it to see all these villains team up? And oh my god, look at all this crazy stuff that's happening. Instead, all I could think of was, man, that just doesn't sound right. But, you work with what you've got. They can only include so many actors in a given episode for budgetary reasons. And as someone pointed out, it probably came down to, if it comes down to Laurie Petty or Brad Garrett, probably going to get Brad Garrett. Of course, they did pay a little nod to the fact that Weather Wizard is a Flash villain by having Weather Wizard go for the Flash the second he shows up. It's obvious he's the main target of his ire, Wonder Woman's theme. And as Flash points out, that really shouldn't have worked. But, as with anything, when you point out that it shouldn't work, it becomes okay. This is really a good episode for Flash, too. He he shows some resourcefulness here. He shows some real emotion and some real integrity when Superman dies. 
the best flash moments often come about when it when the episode shows how much he cares about the other characters and how much he cares about the common person as well. Here someone pointed out we see Green Lantern using the multiple bubbles trick that he relearned in Hearts and Minds a few episodes earlier. I'm not sure if it was intentionally a callback to that or not, but it's the exact same trick Katma had to reteach him there. Always has to make an entrance. Batman's funniest when he makes those wry observational comments about how ridiculous concepts and situations are. Now this took a lot of flack, the fact that people felt that Batman shouldn't be able to take on Calabac, but of course he's not trying to defeat him, as he says, he's simply trying to stall him until Superman shows up. If the two of them were put in a ring together, mano a mano, Batman would probably get smushed. But, the laws of physics being what they are, it can use Calabac's mass and momentum against him for just long enough until... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this has a this whole scene has a real feel of uh impending doom to it too just the the blackened sky and the i don't know it's it's mainly just the sky i guess but there's just a a weird sense of gloom and darkness to the proceedings that you don't see in really any of the other fight scenes. And here it comes. Batman, of course, is the one that has to go down and try to rescue Wonder Woman. Now this is just a beautifully edited sequence right here, these next few shots. Just complete silence. As I said, it happened so quick that you're you're kind of right there with the characters. It's like blinking, you miss it. They're like, what just happened? It, it, it takes a second for it to sink in, and they're all just in complete shock. And Wonder Woman being the the warrior has no compunction against subscribing to the eye for an eye philosophy. But Flash, ever the voice of humanity and reason and empathy, won't allow her to do it, not because it would be wrong in some abstract way, but because he knows it's not what Superman would have wanted. And here we get Chris Carter's fantastic Death of Superman theme, which is then used in contrast to a theme he sets up in the in part two, the Return of Superman theme, and that he he juggles the two themes in a very interesting way and uses them to contrast each other at key moments and really lends a mythic flair to the entire proceeding, I felt. Now, this is supposed to be Wonder Woman's apartment, I guess, but we never saw it before, and we'll never see it again.
Now, someone pointed out that up until this point in the series, we hadn't really seen... I mean, Superman didn't really begin to strut his stuff until Twilight anyway. And given that this is only, what, 20-some-odd episodes later, given that they're all two-parters, only ten story arcs later, and given that Superman doesn't appear in every one, maybe only six or seven Superman appearances later, we didn't really see him save the day too much up until this point in the series. We get We see more of it, of course, as the series goes on, but... The fact that the characters say how many battles did we win simply because he was there might ring a little false for some because of that. And I love that. I love that right there. The one, the fact that Batman is the one who can't let it go. And of course, it's because as Wonder Woman says, he has trouble letting go. He doesn't deal with loss very well. But it's more than that. He, he has a, a respect and affection for Superman that not a lot of the other characters have. He understands Superman. Of course, he understands a lot of the characters better than they understand themselves, but there's a kinship between him and Superman that really transcends a lot of what, of the, a lot of what the other characters would be capable of feeling for him. Because Batman is just an ordinary man who does all these things because of a tragedy that happened to him. He's driven to do them out of a sense of obligation to humanity, a sense of vengeance, a sense of being driven by the wheels of fate, whereas he looks at Superman and sees someone who was given everything. I mean, Batman was born to a life of luxury. He was born to wealthy parents, but he had all that, everything that mattered to him taken away from him, whereas Superman was born to disaster on Krypton, but when he came to Earth, he then had anything anyone could ever want, a loving family, a, a nice home, friends, loved ones. And yet, even though nothing is driving him to do this, Superman is the one who's always out there trying to make the world better, trying to help other people. There's no... And the character is called two-dimensional because there's no tragedy motivating him to do any of these things. He simply does it because it's right. And Batman looks at his own history and sees what he had to endure to become a hero. And he looks at Superman and sees all that he was given, and he still chose to become a hero. I think he would respect that above all else. And I've talked over a lot of good stuff now, of course, but we see everyone at the funeral from Bibbo and Maggie Sawyer to Alfred and Tim Drake, several members of the Green Lantern Corps, the ones specifically that met him back in, in Blackest Night, including Kyle Rayner, who met him back in and Brightest Day in the Superman animated series. We see here Dr. Fate, his wife Inza, Aquaman and his wife Mira, the Kents, Lana, Supergirl, not wearing her Kara Kent disguise for some reason. And of course Lois, Jimmy, and Perry, and we see there Orion and Light Ray. Here's probably the best statement of the death of Superman theme. I kind of find, of, I find it a little odd that Light Ray gets such a prominent place in the procession right there, given that he never even met Superman, but what are you going to do? The little boy taking off his hat has struck some as being a nod to John F. Kennedy Jr., who during, during his father's funeral procession made a similar sign of respect. 
There's a couple of things that bug me about this scene. First of all, I understand they probably can't show the characters consuming alcohol in a children's cartoon show, but the fact that it all looks like they're indulging in orange juice after Superman's funeral is a little bizarre. Also, this anecdote that Green Lantern tells is not funny in the slightest. I mean, Dwayne McDuffie's a pretty funny guy. He couldn't come up with anything better than, Fine, and you? But I like that they're all sitting around sharing happy stories about Superman instead of, you know, all the tearing of garments and breast-beating that you would often see in the comics when a character dies, all the melodrama here. There's just a bunch of friends sitting around talking about how much they miss one of their friends. And I love that Wonder Woman says, we should keep it in the family. It's interesting that all the potential members they mention here, of course, go on to become members in Justice League Unlimited. Now, Lobo. It might seem completely random that Lobo shows up, and of course it is, but the reasoning for it, or at least the genesis of the idea in the production of the episode, was that they wanted to have Captain Marvel show up. He would be a logical replacement for Superman, being a similar power level and a similar sort of Boy Scoutish outlook. But the rights to Captain Marvel weren't available and would not become available until Season 4, when they were able to use them once for Clash. So when they found out that they couldn't use Captain Marvel, they then thought, well, given that we can't use the most likely replacement, who would be the least likely person we could bring in? Who would be someone that would surprise everyone? And who better than Lobo? Of course, Lobo encountered Superman in a two-part episode early in Superman's series called The Main Man where Lobo was hired by a being called the Preserver to capture Superman and bring him to him because he was the last Kryptonian. And Superman and Lobo ended up teaming up to defeat the Preserver. But Superman made Lobo promise never to interfere with him or the Earth ever again. And Lobo, being a man who takes his promises at the exact word and not necessarily the spirit of the agreement, might take that to me, and I will not interfere with her so long as you're still on it. Brad Garrett, of course, probably best known to modern audiences from Everybody Loves Raymond. He also played Bibbo in Superman, so it's interesting that they didn't give Bibbo any lines at the funeral, but I guess it would have been an unnecessary distraction. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. I love any scene where we glimpse the, the humanity behind Batman, because he really is the, one of the most human of the characters. Not just because he doesn't have any powers, but as Amanda Waller says all the way later in, in Epilogue, it's because he cares so deeply for his fellow man that he does what he does. And here... The first time to his fate, or, or the first time we hear Batman call him Clark. And it's not until Clash that he actually calls him Clark to his face. Here he calls him Clark, but of course Superman isn't around. And for the man who has everything, he calls him Clark, but Superman's been taken over by the Black Mercy and can't hear him. I thought it was an intentional thing that they were doing, that Batman, of course, tries to compartmentalize his life and, and would try to keep things on a very professional footing with Superman and not let his his feelings for him as a friend and as a brother-in-arms interfere with the mission, and so would never call him by his real name to his face, but they drop that in Clash. Every time I see this, when the Batwing comes in, after 
Calabac says, I don't think he's coming, and you see Batman, I always have to shout, next best thing, asshole. goes bat plan number 62. They're able to give Deadshot a couple of lines in this episode and the next because of course he's voiced by Michael Rosenbaum who also does The Flash. So no need to pay any extra money to bring another actor in. You get a little bit of Batman's theme here in a second as he advances on Copperhead after he ties him up. Now the interesting thing we see in part two when Superman uh, reaches the crashed watchtower and pulls up on the computer monitor the whereabouts of the members and Aquaman is on there. So what must have happened it would seem, the sequence of events, is that in the timeline where Superman did not return to save Batman from Deadshot's missile at the end of Part 2, Batman was killed there and with Superman and Batman both dead they would bring in Aquaman as a new seventh member. Now, what becomes of Lobo if he stuck around after Batman's death or not, I don't know, but it would have been interesting to see how Aquaman felt about all this. Flash's little bit of humor there seems a little odd given how down everybody was just only a few minutes ago, but you can't really have Lobo in a scene and not let it lighten up a little. The fact that all these villains are able to completely destroy Metropolis just because Superman isn't there Kind of makes you wonder about the effectiveness of the other crime fighters, both the police and the Justice League. They keep the same sort of pair-ups here from past episodes. Green Lantern, of course, goes for Star Sapphire. Hawk Girl goes for Copperhead. One thing I forgot to mention during the funeral scene 
is that Snapper Carr says representatives from however many countries are attending the funeral, and someone pointed out that the number of countries he mentions is greater than the number of countries that actually exist on Earth. But I always figured that was because representatives from other planets and other dimensions attended, given that we see Aquaman and Mira from, of course, from Atlantis, and Orion and Light Ray from New Genesis, and all the members of the Green Lantern Corps that show up from their respective planets. feel bad for whoever's car that was. Now I'm going to have to say this really quick because it's, it's going to be blinking you miss it here, but the other half of the idea for this story beyond just doing a Death of Superman story was that, they, that Rich Fogel, I believe in particular, wanted to adapt one of his favorite Superman stories under a red sun, where Superman was trapped on a planet with a red sun and lost his powers and had to survive based only on his wits and his willpower. So, the entire second part of this episode is basically a nod to that concept from the comics. So there we go, that's here after part one. A lot of great emotion, a lot of great guest stars, a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. <laughs>